are listening to The Cooler Ring, a podcast made for manufacturing marketers. Here are Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Welcome to The Cooler Ring, a podcast for manufacturing marketers brought to you by Cooler Partners. My name is Jeff White. Joining me today is Carmen Perry. Carmen, how are you? Fabulous. We're recording this on a Friday. How could we how could we complain, really? Yeah, relax. It's Friday. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, look, I think today's conversation is going to be, we know that there's, a, in the kind of the B2B marketing world, uh, there's lots of chatter about the difference between B2B and B2C. Um, but I, one thing I haven't heard a lot of is um, a marketer kind of give us a bit of their experience and the tail of the tape, as it were, about their move from being a B2B marketer to a B2B to C marketer and kind of what that really means. And today's guest has, uh, I think, just a, a really interesting and unique background and perspective on this that I'm excited to get into. Yeah, I am too. And and of course, you know, the, the products that they manufacture and that they sell to that uh, business to consumer um, audience are, are uh, you know, kind of enthusiast type products, which is always kind of fun to talk about too. Yeah, we know, can so. geek out on that too, of course. We'll try not to be too bad that way, but. Yeah, if our director of business development, Jesse, were on this, he'd be even more excited than us. He's got a tricked out Tacoma. He would love to uh, have a bunch of your products on. Joining us today on The Cooler Ring is Dirk Mortensen. Dirk is the marketing manager with ARB USA. Welcome to The Cooler Ring. Thank you very much for having me. Dirk, it's really good to be chatting with you today. And uh, look, I know that the, the off-road enthusiasts uh, that are listening to this, they're going to know what ARB is. Uh but a bunch of other people might be sitting out there saying AR what? So why don't you tell us a little bit about ARB and uh, and your uh, role there, and and we'll go from there. Absolutely, uh, ARB Four by Four Accessories is actually an Australian-based company. Uh, we've been manufacturing off-road accessories and overland accessories for the last uh, forty-five plus years. Um, so everything that you could possibly imagine that you would need to get your vehicle ready to drive out to the middle of nowhere and camp and overland and base camp and enjoy the outdoors we provide. So front bumpers, um, air lockers for differentials, lighting equipment, suspension systems, roof racks, tents, awnings, fridges, any anything that you could need to um, enjoy the activities you love doing outside, um, uh, we manufacture. It's, it's a Melbourne-based company, so everything is built and designed to survive the outback. Um, which gives a little bit of a, a fun twist on things. And uh, I've been with the company for about a year and a half now as their marketing manager for North America. Really cool. And, and Dirk, your previous life was, uh, had nothing to do with uh, the outback and off-road, correct? That's correct. That's correct. I was with a company called Packard. They're a Fortune 200 company um, that manufactures semi-trucks. So Peterbilt and Kenworth and Doff globally. And I was in their parts division. Um, so selling aftermarket parts, but obviously for for, for business use exclusively. Um, the only off-road uh, accessories I was selling at that point were, um, you know, heavy-duty mining equipment and gigantic um, loaders and, and things like that. So very, very sh- big shift from business equipment over to consumer goods. Really, the, from the kinds of trucks that little kids like to the kinds of trucks that big kids like. Precisely, precisely. <laughs> Although the big trucks are really cool too. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I, I think, you know, where we'd like to kick this off is just, you know, um, one of the things that we've been chatting about uh, leading up to the show was this idea that, you know, um, 
the kind of marketing that you can do and the kind of relationships that you have with your end customer are very different than what you would have had with your end customer when you were with Packar. You know, in this case, you're you're really trying to, uh, you know, it's a, as uh, I believe the phrase you've used is discretionary spending. You know, these are these are products that are generally purchased for uh, for people's enjoyment, and uh, as such, the the people that you're selling to are as much an enthusiast about the products as the people that they end up selling those to. So, how does that change the dynamic of what you do? Absolutely, it's it's um, it certainly presents a challenge coming from a heavy metrics-driven B2B environment into um, one that is far more relational and experiential. Um, coming from PACR, where everything was boiled down to the penny, um, and for very, very good reasons. These are very efficient businesses that are essentially moving goods throughout the world to an industry where most of the businesses that operate are operated by enthusiasts who love their hobby so much they turned it into a full-time gig. Um, when you're going in and talking about new products, new ways to integrate into vehicles, and you're talking about their customers and installations, um, they're they're not at, they're they're worried about their bottom line, and they certainly want to build their business and watch it grow. Um, but at the same time, they it's a passion of theirs, and so you really have to take that into account as you're um, preparing new proposals. When you're talking about new programs, they they don't want it to be um, lifeless they it definitely has to have um, some meaning for them and they have to enjoy the process because that's why they started their business and why they want it to continue to grow so they can continue enjoying what they do which is um, quite a bit different from um, from what i've experienced previously <laughs> it must be a bit of a disconcerting feeling in some way to go from being uh, an incredibly data-driven marketer to now being thrown into the promotion of a brand where your success is in some way um, a lot more dependent on nuance and um, uh, emotional connectivity. Absolutely, absolutely. Styling is um, just as important as function in many cases in this industry. And um, and it goes back to when they're spending money. And this goes back to consumers and to um, our direct customers, which are our retailers and wholesalers. When they're spending money, they want it to... Um, they want to feel good about what they're they're spending. It's it's not a skew on a spreadsheet for them. It's very much a um, each buy is a, a passion project. Each installation for customers, um, kind of at the shop level, is a uh, an art form for them. And um, it it certainly was a a jarring experience going from one from the other because you'll walk into uh, a conversation with a, a a business customer and say, "Here's the numbers. I've put this proposal together for you. Here's how we're going to make you some money." And they go. Uh, yeah, but I, I kind of want to do it like this way. I know it's not going to make as much money for us, but um, I think my team will enjoy it better. I'll, I'll enjoy the process better, and I just like it more. Um, and that was a huge slap in the face to me. I just my jaw kept dropping every single day as I'd get off the phone and get walk out of meetings with, um, with these folks. And it's because they genuinely cared about what they were doing, and they wanted to uh, enjoy what they're doing while they're, they're making money and building their business. I suppose in some ways you could probably draw a direct uh, direct line between um, uh, superior sales volume in a particular product and whether or not the owner um, of that location or or what have you um, has that product installed on their own vehicle or if their team uh, also does. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. The um, 
there's certainly a strong correlation to be made from um, what they're passionate about and what ends up in their promotional material, what ends up uh, front and center on their website, um, and and what they en- end up moving more of mm-hmm. is directly related to what they believe in, what they enjoy using. Uh, it will determine what kind of things they build consumer videos about and what kind of things end up on their Instagram accounts and what kind of things that um, they have multiple reviews on their websites because they can build out all of this content because it's just flowing out of their marketing teams and their their owners because it's easy for them because they love it and they enjoy it uh, more so than uh, you'd see selling business equipment. So does that, uh, does that translate into where your marketing programs in one particular region or to one particular demographic are completely different from what you might be doing at the same time somewhere else in the country? Absolutely. And I would even make it more broad. When we have to develop products, we're developing them, keeping in mind multiple uh, regions of the country and also globally. So when we bring a product to market in Australia, for example, we have to make uh, considerable um, changes when we bring it to market in the United States. Uh, it, It absolutely makes a difference how the product is used and what and what the complementary products are um, because there's so much different in how they're used in the outback versus um, in moab utah uh, it's it's considerable jeff i feel that you're more equipped to talk about the differences in vehicle uh, requirements in moab than i am <laughs> i've only been there on two wheels though not four this so. is true it's two <laughs> more than me uh, yeah, yeah, but you, I could not believe the number of modified trucks in the backcountry in Moab. It was, uh, I mean, there's no question it's a destination that everybody loves to go to, but the, you know, the the number of trucks that were back there and the age of some of them with all these custom products on them, they look pretty cool. And, you know, for the, for all the, uh, you know, um, differences between mountain bikers and, uh, and four by four enthusiasts, we all got along pretty well back there too, which was pretty great, but, uh, <clears throat> it's, uh, it's certainly an interesting, uh, interesting um, group of group of people and group of enthusiasts. But I, I wonder, you know, like if you have that massive kind of number of different things that are happening and trends that are are you know exploding in one area while something completely different is happening elsewhere, how do you manage that? How do you scale a marketing program, and how do you how do you measure you know your your own effectiveness at marketing? That part, fortunately, is um, an area I get to lean back on a lot of the the data-driven approaches. So we're going through and uh, measuring what is going to have the greatest impact. We understand that localization is important, and we would love to be able to drill drill in and build custom campaigns for every single local market with every single um, nuanced trend. But we understand that um, budgets are limited and bandwidth is limited, and we have to um, we have to adjust accordingly. So we're we're taking it usually at a, um, a regional approach based on um, climate. It uh, has, a, has a big big impact on our business. Uh, we sell a lot more fridges in Southern California than we do in Maine, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we boil it down to really how effective is the next level of localization. Uh, but what really is um, an extra challenge is um, localizing it by the type of customer, the type of business customer we have, um, because I, I mentioned that a lot of these, um, a lot of these customers are only really promoting their products that they're passionate about. And so we're essentially building a marketing program to get 
customer, our wholesale customers to adopt the product and then another marketing program to layer on top of that once they've got buy-in so that they'll use it to market to the end consumer. Um, and it's far more, I would say, localized by business type than it is um, uh, than it is actually parts of the country. So one example would be we have uh, a number of different um, e-commerce based uh, business customers. Um, and so we're their distributor and then they take on inventory and then they distribute it through their e-commerce channels. But we have some that are very focused on um, rock crawling Jeeps and we have some that are very focused on overlanding vehicles in general. So that could be a Tacoma with a rooftop tent or a, um, a forerunner or a Colorado with a, a mild lift kit um, but with lots of protection and um, lots of camping equipment. And the localization that we end up having to do uh, with each of these customers is far more um, of that type of segmentation than it is, is regional. Uh, but again, it is very much a challenge to say, okay, well, what kind of program are we going to put together just to get dealers to adopt these new products because we have to approach them differently. And then we have to come up with another marketing program to layer on top of that, that we think will work with the end consumer. Hmm. And of course, um, uh, both programs have to pull a lot on emotion and cannot just be uh, predicated on, uh, um, you know, blocking and tackling kind of ROI type messaging that you could live on in your previous gig. Absolutely. And we're fortunate enough to um, be in a position in the market where we're a uh, considered a premium brand. So a lot of our products are kind of over-engineered, high-quality products that, again, can survive the Australian outback. So when it comes to bringing in a new product into a dealer saying, hey, this is something you should really get excited about, they we don't have to overcome the challenge of, oh, well, it's poor quality, it won't work. It almost always does. What we have to come up with is can you get excited about it despite the fact that it's a really over-engineered product and uh, might be a challenge to sell because it's uh, it'll be a pricey product um, but back to your original question it is far for us it's far less about um, you know making sure that um, we're getting uh, the, the margin details are, are less of a uh, a factor as it is adoption. Once we get adoption, people get really excited about it. They know they're going to sell it because it'll um, it'll act like a halo product for them. Um, but certainly I wouldn't say return on uh, investment is not a consideration. It's obviously our, our first consideration when we're talking about investing in marketing programs. Uh, it does take a much different uh, route to get there though. Hmm. Uh, we have to figure out what the best return is when we're talking to dealers and engaging dealers and getting dealer adoption. Then we have to get another level of return um, and then tie those together to say, what did it actually cost us to get this to market and how, what kind of benefit did we get um, all the way through the supply chain? Are your digital marketing efforts bringing in too many junk leads? Stop wasting time and distracting your sales team. Account-based marketing can help give your marketing strategy the laser focus on qualified buyers that you need to increase your pipeline velocity, close more deals, and grow your business faster. We've created a sample manufacturing ABM plan to help you get started. Download the sample manufacturing ABM plan at bit.ly slash sample ABM. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash sample ABM. Dirk, I'd be curious, as you've kind of taken this uh, new role on and kind of you know really met this challenge head on of making this shift from being a purely B2B marketer to this B2B2C environment, are there any brands out there that kind of served as inspiration for you or other companies that you look to to say, I think these guys are doing it right or they seem to be able to get their um, 
their B2B customers excited about selling their products. Is there anybody out there that kind of stands out for you? In our industry, um, Warren is one that certainly jumps out at us um, on a regular basis. We almost use them as a, a benchmark frequently. They're not a direct competitor. In fact, we're one of their customers in Australia. We sell a lot of their products, but they do an excellent job in engaging their supply chain and then engaging the end consumer as well. Um, hmm. There's a lot of there's a lot of players in our market that um, that that do a good job of understanding the industry and not just having this or having their products kind of tacked onto the bottom of the spreadsheet. Um, the ones that really really do an excellent job of engaging not just end consumers but dealers. There are a lot of com- companies that we competed with that um, certainly have bigger marketing budgets that. Uh, do a lot of spray and pray and, and work on brand awareness just in the market in general, but don't engage customers really well. Um, but Warren, uh, Warren Winch is certainly is a, is a good example. Very cool. I'm going to have to think that like some of these other, even like a, even somebody like a Harley Davidson or some of the bigger automotive brands, I'm assuming they must experience this uh, similar dynamic. Basically, if the Harley dealers across the country are really excited about the new uh, Harley-Davidson model that they're coming out with, the chances of them selling more of them, I guess, I, I would think go up a lot. And and probably every one of those um, owners of those Harley-Davidson dealerships are also riders, you know, who are passionate about the product and they probably have Harley tattoos on them, for goodness sakes. I would, I'd say the dealer um, model, especially in the automotive industry, is a little different because that relationship is so close. Uh, working with PACAR, they uh, distribute exclusively through their dealer network. So there's a there's a, a network of Peterbilt dealerships and Kenworth dealerships and Doff dealerships, uh, similar to a Holiday Davidson or a, um, uh, a consumer automotive distribution network. But you don't have to sell they, them on it as much, I suppose. They're already kind of part of the team, and they're and they're very much involved usually in the development process too. When um, when you're developing either a, a new bike or you're developing a new, you know, Ford uh, Bronco, for example, you're involving your dealer networks because you know that they need to have buy-in well in advance, um, and it's you know they know that you're going to distribute it, and their their bread is made on the backs of whatever you're putting together and and putting into the market. So it's uh, it's certainly a, um, a relationship that's far closer than most. Yeah, I can appreciate that, that the parallels aren't quite the same. There's also, you know, not to hold on to the parallel too strongly, but I'm thinking, I guess, of like, and you can tell I'm a motorcyclist in the middle of all this, but just like uh, motorcycle shops that have like, that, that sell two or three different brands, which is very mm-hmm. common, especially like those that rep, represent more of the Japanese manufacturers or what have you. And there, I mean, you know, what brand they choose to sell is oftentimes, depending on what they're excited about. Um Maybe that might be a bit more similar, but I'll I'll stop trying to make my case. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a Kawasaki guy myself. Are you? Well, we won't hold that against I you. Actually, I must <laughs> say, as a bit of an odd little tangent, I uh, owned uh, a GPZ 750 Turbo, which is like one of the very few turbocharged motorcycles ever created and was one of the first to do the quarter mile in under 10 seconds. So there you have it. That's my only contribution. Jeff, you got to take over from here. <laughs> we won't. We won't talk about. Uh, yeah, I'm not allowed to have a motorcycle. People have seen how I ride a bike, and they just don't want me to be on anything that fast. <laughs> <laughs> um, what 
you know, you, you talked a little bit about, you know, kind of bringing products to market and getting your dealers excited. What are, you know, what is a, a common strategy for you when you're, you're looking to launch a new product? How do you, how do you work with the dealers on that and, and get a better understanding of their customers? Because obviously, you know, by the time something is ready to launch, you've already, uh, you know, ARB has most likely been profiling and testing this with a number of different people. But, uh, you know, how do you, uh, how do you launch something new? Well, I will uh, preface it with it depends on the product category. Mm -hmm. So there's certain types of products that are very easy to, um, for our dealers kind of wrap their heads around. They say, okay, we understand the function. We understand here's the image of it. That's pretty much all we need to know. There's other products that they really need to get their hands on, see in person. And um, we use consumer events and trade events pretty heavily in that respect. So EJS, um, sorry, Easter Jeep Safari and Moab was one example of a event platform that we used to, that we consistently use to bring prototypes um, into the market, just kind of a, as a, uh, an initial showing and to get feedback both from consumers, but mostly from dealers and people in the industry. So we'll get um, a new rear bumper for the new Gladiator, for example. Uh, and we'll get it in front of people and get feedback saying, oh yeah, I like this, I like this styling, or it'd be really great if this functionality was included. And um, and we'll we'll bring that to market as it's pretty close to fruition and almost ready to go into production, but as a way of educating dealers and educating um, kind of the entire supply chain on on what it looks like, and that part gets them excited. When it comes to something less um, uh, less vehicle specific, like um, like the fridges we sell, for example, a lot of that just has to do with education well in advance. So we'll put together a program that says, okay. Um, Four weeks before this product even arrives um, stateside, we will make sure that all of our dealers have had a chance to get on a webinar to view all the specs and all the uh, features and benefits of this product. We'll distribute videos to all of the um, wholesale distributing sales reps and the uh, in-store sales reps so they understand um, what this product looks like, how it's used in the field, and making sure they all have um, more than enough information before the product ever arrives. So as soon as they get their hands on it, they've kind of already had all of this hype and they've already had all of this information overload. And they say, oh, I understand. I saw that in the video. Oh, I saw that feature. Um, and I heard about that. And it, it gets them, it leads them up to a productive product launch. Um, and I'm not sure that that's as unique to, that's pretty, I would imagine that's pretty typical in any consumer goods um, product release, but it's, it's really important, especially in our industry, to get buy-in, um, again, from the owners and also the salespeople before they ever have to start talking to their end consumers about the product. Very cool. And, and I, have to, I have to imagine, you know, if you're launching products and getting things out into existing dealers, that's, that's one side of things. How are you also um, engaging and, uh, and looking for new dealers to work with? Uh, what's that sales process look like? Uh, to be honest, we have the benefit of having a, a fairly strong brand in the industry. So we have a lot of uh, a lot of pull. We get quite a few customers coming to us saying, hey, we'd love to sign up to become uh, a distributor or a dealer of ARB products. Um, the other side of that is actively searching for what we would consider our ideal customers and our ideal distributors. And we're looking for people that um, have... You know, experience installing very technical products, things like air lockers and drivetrain products, and people that understand the um, complexities of compressors and air systems and why they're important, so that 
Um, and namely, that's mostly for customer support. So we're going to things like um, dealer trade shows and uh, we go to SEMA every year, which is uh, kind of the mecca of the aftermarket auto automotive world. Uh, and we're actively looking for customers who really have the skill sets that that we're looking for to help support our end customers. Uh, it's great that we, if we have a lot of uh, retailers that can get our product out there, but it doesn't do us, um, it doesn't add as much value if when the customer comes back with a question, that dealer or that distributor or that retailer doesn't uh, know how to help them. So we're really looking for strong partners that understand um, from a technical perspective and a service perspective um, how, to, how to help customers in the field. Jeff, I just can't help but imagine a target account list uh, of of uh, prospective uh, distri distributors, and we actually have identified like their the vehicles that the owners drive of these organizations, as well as the sales. <laughs> I mean, that that's the level of uh, passion and engagement that Dirk's talking about here, isn't it? Oh, certainly a factor, absolutely. I I think I have one last question. I I think. Um, and and really, oftentimes we ask people, you know, like what what do you wish you knew ten years ago that you know now? But I, I want to reverse that a little bit and say, you know, given that you're in this B two B to C um, environment now, that isn't something that you were doing before necessarily when you were in a pure B two B environment. What would you take from what you know now that you think would be valuable in your former B two B life? I think that's a really good question. If I can just say that. <laughs> no, I'm thinking, like, you know, because I mean, we think about it in a B2B context. Oh, well, then it's, you know, it's just all very cut and dried as long as you tell them how much money they're going to save. But we all know that if we use a little bit of, um, if we played to the emotional side there as well, it would probably generate some more results. So, not to put words in Dirk's mouth, but I'm really curious about your answer here. Yeah, for, for, for me, looking back to uh, my B2B experience previously, I would certainly ask my older self to my younger self to slow down a little and uh, be a bit more bit more patient one thing i ran into pretty quickly in this current role is understanding that um, while things may not make sense to me because i'm pretty much looking at metrics and paper and and what these numbers represent there's a lot of there's a lot of nuance that you can only really understand talking to the right people uh, no, and I would have been more successful in my B2B2B experience had I better understood the um, the motivations behind the buyers and the installers and the retailers and the distributors outside of their metrics goals. So um, what got them there, why they stay in that current job, um, things like that. And, and one example I can think of is uh, in the heavy-duty trucking industry, it's amazing how many people in that industry have a passion for a very specific brand of semi-truck. And that sounds a little odd, but they get really passionate about, um, you know, they want, some of them are Peterbilt guys, and some of them are, you know, you know, gals that will only drive Kenworths or only work on Kenworths. And if they see the other brand there, they almost hiss at them and, and, and throw, you know, throw lovely insults at each other. But understanding why they remained in their position and and what what gets them into work every day yes they have <clears throat> yes they have metrics to hit yes they want to make sure that their their margins are maintained and they want to make sure that they're 
getting optimal efficiency that they can drive the business and grow the business and all of these things that we communicate through marketing um, marketing channels, but slowing down a bit and understanding um, what else drives them in addition to those things would have made um, would have made me far more successful. Um, and it's that's not just treating them as people; it's understanding that these are these are people that chose to work in this industry for a very specific reason. Uh, in my current role, they chose a lot of them chose to work in this industry because they're enthusiasts and they love the outdoors and they love. Um, off-roading and overlanding in my previous role, it's possible they, it's, and I can recall a couple of the reasons it's, you know, they absolutely love semi-trucks or they, it's a family affair and they love working with family or they love taking up the, um, the mantle of what their mom did or what their dad did. Um, that's certainly something I would have taken more time to, to process and include in my decision-making uh, in previous roles. I think that's fantastic advice. Like uh, even in B two B, the buyer's still a person, and there's uh, there's some underlying motivations that it can tap into. And it's obvious in the in, in your existing role, those passions are sometimes a little bit more worn on the sleeve. But like you say, they're there in the uh, other industries as well, aren't they? Absolutely, absolutely. And again, they may be less of a deciding factor, but certainly something you can build on long term. No kidding. Well, we could all do with a little more empathy, eh? Very cool. Well, thanks very much for joining us today, Dirk. It's been a, a really fascinating discussion. Oh, thank you very much for having me. All the best. Thanks for listening to The Cooler Ring with Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Don't miss a single manufacturing marketing insight. Subscribe now at coolapartners.com slash the cooler ring. That's K-U-L-A partners.com slash the cooler ring. 